Well, as you can see from the screen, the Bible reading this morning is from Habakkuk, chapter 2, verses 2 to 20. And you can find that on page 939 in your church Bible, which should be in the seat in front of you. So that's Habakkuk, chapter 2, starting at verse 2. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald, a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of, an, of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not up, upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, Wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he, he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captives all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you'll become their prey, because you have plundered many nations. The peoples who are left will plunder you, for you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labour is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbours, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory, now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation, he makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Thank you, Rod.
Well, it's great to be back. Uh, it's the first time since I came back from America. I uh, did like what Kelsey said to me as I headed off. She said, Bruce, if you speak in an Australian accent, you'll be fine. doesn't matter what you say, they'll love you. So you just have to get up and say g'day. So uh, it's good to be here. I did learn something over there. We've been talking about the different ways you can pronounce the book Habakkuk, and they pronounce it in some parts of America, Habakkuk. So that was an interesting one for me. So we're going to look at the book of Habakkuk this morning, (laughs) chapter 2, but let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this prophet, Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, and we thank you for just the honesty that's here from his mouth, the issues he's grappling with, and I do pray, Lord, that as I speak the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts will be acceptable to you. And so do speak to us in whatever situation we're in. In Jesus' name, amen. How long, O Lord? How long? That's the question that Habakkuk, we saw, was asking last week. Those words are not insignificant words. Whenever I've heard people pray those words or say those words, they normally are dripping with emotion. How long, O Lord? How long? And it's the cry of a heart that is enduring suffering or facing opposition or going through very difficult times and they're sick of praying and they're wondering, will God act? How long, O Lord? How long? And this is the cry that really defines this book of Habakkuk. Where are you, God, in the midst of the evil and the injustice that I see around me? The people of God are not living your way. We're surrounded by nations that are godless. And the thought of his heart is, why don't you do anything? Why are you silent? How long? How long must I cry out to you? And while he knew that God was sovereign, his daily experience reflected something quite different. He was deeply disturbed by the spiritual and social state of the affairs in the nation of Judah and by the nations around. And so he cries out, how long? I couldn't help but think of the famous sermon by Martin Luther King. I don't know if you know the sermon, it's called, Our God is Marching On. And I couldn't help but think, you'd be inspired and uplifted having listened to a bit of it. So I've just got a little bit to play for us this morning just to get us kind of in the mood for Habakkuk and what he's got to say to us. Let's have a listen. I know you're asking today, how long will it take? Somebody's asking, how long will prejudice blind the visions of men? I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long because truth crushed earth will rise again. How long, not long, because no lie can live forever. How long, not long, because you shall reap what you sow. How long, not long, truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future. Behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow 
keeping watch above his own. How long? Not long. Because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. How long? Not long. Because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's trampling out the bitches where the grapes of wrath are stored. He's loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Amen. And I love that line. I mean, there's some wonderful lines in there, but how long? Not long. Why? Because no lie can live forever. How long? Not long. Why? Because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And you can see there what it was built upon his sermon was the reality that God would come and God would bring justice. And that's what I want to talk about this morning as we think about this second chapter of Habakkuk. How long? And what we've seen is Habakkuk has had a complaint. God has responded and he said, well, actually, I'm going to deal with the injustice around you by bringing Babylon to bear. And Habakkuk just can't imagine why God would do that because this is the unjust nation. This is the godless nation. And we're left at the end of chapter 1 with... Habakkuk complaining and he sits and watches for an answer and what we have this morning is God's answer to Habakkuk's complaints in the context of how long before justice prevails and there's three things I want to say to us this morning that come out of this chapter first we must wait second we must trust and third we must worship let's have a look at the first one wait if you've got your Bibles there we're on page 936 in Habakkuk and we're looking at verse 2 on to the end of the chapter. I think one of the hardest things to do in life can be waiting. And I was thinking about this in terms of the world we live in today. Uh, we hate waiting. And everything is instant. We've even got Instagram, which gives you photos instantly. And it's amazing with Facebook, with email, with internet news. It doesn't matter what it is. We are connected around the globe. And it is profound how connected we are at any one moment. I mean, I can pick up my phone and I can ring my son who's in Chicago right now if I wanted to. He could send me a video clip if he wanted to of what he was doing. We could actually look at each other in terms of video messaging each other. And the problem is we live in this instant world where we just don't wait anymore. And we've not learnt to wait and to be patient. And the concept that we must wait on God to act... I think is even harder and that's what Habakkuk is experiencing that he's waiting for God to act and he's not hearing anything and then God replies and he says this write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets this is Habakkuk verse chapter 2 verse 2 so that a herald may run with it in other words I'm going to speak I'm going to give you a revelation uh, it'll be clear needs to be written down 
so that heralds may run with it. It'll be announced to the nation. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. And what does this revelation speak of? Well, it speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. And what he's saying is there is an end that is going to come. Justice will come. I will deal with all the issues that you're talking about that are in front of you. But it may linger. And from a human point of view, what he's saying is you need to wait for it. And he says it will certainly come, it won't delay. And the word delay means late. In other words, it's not going to be late, it will be on time. But the problem is it will be on God's timetable, not Habakkuk's timetable. And that's the reality of how God works. He's got his own timetable, which is very separate to our timetable. And so often when we're faced with difficulty or opposition or suffering or injustice, whatever it may be, uh, we would love God to solve it now. And God doesn't work like that. Sometimes we must wait for him to act. But it will certainly come, it will not delay, it will not be late according to his timetable. His timing is completely different. Uh, The Apostle Peter said those famous words in his second letter, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years a day. And what Peter was reflecting on was the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the reality that his timing is completely different to our timing. He will act, he will bring an end to injustice and suffering. A day has been appointed for it, but it will be on God's timetable. And in the midst of our struggles, as we cry out, how long, O Lord? One of the most important things we need to learn to do is to wait with patience upon God. And to actually leave our struggles and our issues with God. And it can be very difficult. But I do want to say, in the context of calling you to wait and to be patient, there are a number of issues where you shouldn't wait. It's worth noting that if you're being subjected to abuse, particularly abuse in a marriage, I would say, do not wait. Run and get help and get out. Find safety. If you're caught up in immorality, well then don't wait to fix things up, run and get out and free yourself from the tangled web of sin and if you're wondering if you should become a Christian don't wait run to Christ who calls you to come to him but in the other circumstances of life that we face that we're involved in that we can't escape that is so difficult one of the most difficult things we need to do is learn to wait now how do we wait Well, I take it it is by knowing that there actually is a God who will bring an end. And that's what Habakkuk was told. And we live on the other side of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that one day the Lord Jesus will return. And we've been promised that and we can be totally assured of that because he has risen from the dead. He has conquered death. He is alive today. He is in heaven. And as he came the first time, so he will come a second time, this time in glory. And he will come and restore all things. 
is what the book of Revelation talks about. He will wipe away every tear and pain and mourning will be over and we need to wait. But secondly, we need to trust. And when you read in verse 4 and 5, you see these words, See, the enemy is puffed up, his desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him, he is arrogant and never at rest, because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. And what you've got here is a long description with a very short description sandwiched in. The long description is of the arrogant, the proud. And God is here critiquing the enemy of the people of God, which is Babylon, the one that he said he would use to bring judgment on Israel, which Habakkuk could not understand. But God says here, actually, no, the enemy will be brought to nothing. There'll come an end. And who is the enemy? Well, he's puffed up. His desires are not upright. Wine betrays him. There's an arrogance. There's a greed. He is never satisfied. He takes to himself all the nations and takes captive all the people. Now, in the middle of this is this little description, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Now, it's a very famous verse when you come to the New Testament. And I want to put up an alternate way of reading that text from the Hebrew um, original text there. And I put it up because, you see, this is how the Apostle Paul and the writer to the Hebrews translate this verse. There's a slight difference. But the righteous shall live by his faith. And this is exactly how the ESV translation translates it. And I think it's a better rendering of the text. And what it's saying is the righteous is the person who lives by trust in God, by his faith in God. In the midst of the questions of suffering and injustice that we go through, we need to wait, but we actually need to have faith in God that he will sort things out. We are not to be like the enemy that is spoken of here, puffed up and proud. We are to be the ones who trust God. Now, the interesting thing is when you read this in the book of Romans, it's a very famous verse historically. It's the verse that Martin Luther read back in the beginning of the 16th century that basically sparked the Protestant Reformation in rediscovering what the gospel was about. And what he discovered was this. He read in Romans 1.17, which quotes Habakkuk here. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And what Luther discovered was that there was a righteousness that was alien to him, was the language he used. It was outside of him which was from God, which he took hold of by faith. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, a righteousness that is by faith, that we take hold of by faith. And then he quotes this famous verse, the righteous will live by their faith. And I think it's very important to understand this because you see, when you realize that you have no righteousness of your own, that we are broken, that we are sinful, that we don't seek God naturally. You realize you have no call on God. You cannot demand God to do things. 
because naturally we are his enemies. But out of his mercy, he has saved us and given us a righteousness that is from Christ. And so the cry that we have is to be merciful to us, which is exactly what Habakkuk prays in the next chapter, having heard God speak. And when you realize you've been saved by just grace, purely grace, you realize that as you stand before him and pray, you cannot demand. But in humility and in faith, you come before him and ask, can you please act? Can you please be merciful? Well, having called upon God in humility and trusting in him, what follows is this incredibly strong critique of the Babylonian nation that makes no sense to Habakkuk that they might be used as a vehicle of judgment. And I want to read through just some of the verses from verse 6 through to verse 19. Because God is hearing Habakkuk's cry. And he says, don't worry, I'm going to bring an end. And what he lists is five woes. And they're words of judgment upon the nation of Babylon. Now, I, I want us to hear them today because, you see, I think we might think historically Babylon was this dreadful nation from many thousands of years ago, and it really doesn't have any connection with us here in Australia today. But the reality is the hearts of humans have not changed in that time. The sin of humanity has not changed in that time. The issue of nations has not changed in that time, we'll see. And what you get here is this very strong critique and condemnation for the way they have not been just in the way the country is run. And you have here a call by God for social justice. Let me just list out some of the things that I see here in the five woes. The first is plundering of other countries. Woe to him, verse 6, who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on, God says? Because you've plundered, verse 8, many nations. The people who are left will plunder you, for you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. And what God is critiquing Babylon for is the way they fed off poor countries and basically used them and exploited them unjustly. Secondly, there are unjust practices. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain. Verse 9, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. And there's this sense of Babylon wanting to build itself as this secure nation, literally through unjust means, ripping off and exploiting the poor. Verse 12, there is a slavery and a bloodshed that they were caught up in and involved in. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. And the nation of Babylon enslaved people and used people. In order to get what they want, they got rich off the back of the poor. Fourth, drunken debauchery. Verse 15, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbours, pouring it out from the wineskin till they are drunk so that it can gaze on their naked bodies. The mark of nations who turn their backs on God is seen in their social lives. Drunkenness and immorality flourish. 
And then the fifth and final woe, there is idolatry, which really underpins the first four. Woe to him who says to wood come to life or to lifeless stone wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. And you see, what fueled the nations like Babylon was that they worshipped false gods and these gods were there, in a sense, to provide them the three things idolatrously that they wanted, which was money, which was power, which was security. And they would call upon them to deliver them these goods, money, power, security. It's what nations do in their corrupt state. You see, social justice matters to God. Now, let me just stop and just reflect on where we are here in Australia and here as an Anglican church in Sydney. I'm an Anglican minister, and historically, one of the things I've been aware of is that over the last hundred years, within this diocese, there's been somewhat of a divide in church circles between those who work to evangelise and those who work to bring social justice. It's not historically, actually, the history of evangelicalism when you go back two, three hundred years and see the great work of reformers like Wilberforce and Whitfield. But for some, social justice had become, no doubt, the gospel. For others, social justice was something that could lure us away from the gospel. And so there was a fear, a sense that to get caught up in working for social justice would take us away from evangelism. But biblically speaking, the gospel is an announcement that the end is coming. And you can see it here in Habakkuk. The end is coming. It may linger, but it will come at God's appointed time. Write it down. Make it known. And you see, that is what we are commissioned to do to preach the gospel. We know now in Christ that the end has come, but will one day finally come. And in his mercy, he allows this time between his first coming and his second coming for the gospel message to go out to the ends of the world and call people to faith and repentance. And the wonderful news is God still loves this world in, in, in spite of us turning our back on him. And he calls us to come back to find amnesty, forgiveness, eternal life through Christ who gives us a righteousness that is obtained by faith. But the call of the church is also to love its neighbour. And you just think of the two great commandments. What are we to do? Jesus said, if you sum it up, we love God. And you see, the gospel is a call to people to come back to God and to love him. And so as we evangelise, we are seeking to do that. But the second great commandment is that we must love our neighbour. And loving our neighbour necessarily means being concerned for social justice for mercy and compassion for those who have not. It means loving the poor like God loves the poor. You see, why is the end coming? Why will Jesus return? Is it not to overturn evil, to destroy injustice, to remove greed, to alleviate poverty on that final day when all suffering and injustice will be judged and dealt with? You see, he's coming because people and nations are used and abused. And that evil and that injustice will only finally and properly be brought to bear and be judged when the end comes. And sin is overturned. And friends, that is why we can look forward to a period where there will be no 
suffering and no persecution and opposition and no injustice and evil. Every tear will be wiped away. And friends, the church must be a signpost to this coming kingdom. We must proclaim the end, that Christ is coming. We must call people to faith. And we must work for justice and mercy and compassion in what we do. Now have a think with me. Are these words about Babylon just about a foreign country in a foreign place that have no relevance to Australia? And the issues and the woes and the injustices that they perpetrated on others. I was thinking about this because I think with Australia, we like to think of ourselves as the country where people get a fair go, where we treat people well, uh, where it's a great place to live. And having just come back from America, I've said to a number of people, I loved being there and I loved coming home. But I thought about the issues that we have had to grapple with from a social point of view as a country. And I just went and looked at what have we had royal commissions for? Now the list is very long. Let me just give you the last five, six years of royal commissions and what we've had to deal with because of what's been uncovered in this country. These are the recent royal commissions starting from the present to five, six years ago. The disability sector into the abuse, neglect and exploitation of people with disabilities. The aged care sector, companies exploiting the most vulnerable in the pursuit of profits. Banking superannuation and finance sector, company seeking profits over customers' well-being. Child protection and youth detention in the Northern Territory because of systemic abuse of minors. Child sex abuse, organisations keeping quiet about terrible abuses because they don't want to lose power and control, and that includes the church. Trade unions and corruptions, using the money of those who are meant to be the people for their own ends. Now, that's just the start in the last five, six years, the Royal Commissions that have been conducted. And what you see here is there's really no part of society that's not touched from the high to the low. Institutions that are meant to be serving the people and caring for the people and protecting the people all have had to be investigated. And what it tells you is that even in such a lovely country like Australia, there is an evil and a systemic injustice that is at the root of who we are. Now, as Christians, we shouldn't be surprised by this because, you see, at heart, all of us are failed people. And all of us will look after ourselves. I love the famous quote by Paul Keating. If self-interest is running in the race, bet on it because he's going to win every time. And you see, once you have that at the heart of a society, it doesn't matter what else you have. Eventually, you will see evil and injustice and corruption take place no matter how nice we are. Now, I mention this not to have a go at anyone in particular, as I know we have people involved in all of these sectors. Aged care, disability, banking, finance, church, trade unions. I'm not wanting to have a go at anyone here. We're all a part of this. And you see, that's why 
We need a righteousness from outside of ourselves to stand before God that we take hold of by faith. But I mention it so that we're aware. Because secondly, our work does matter to God. And as Christians, we need to speak the words of the gospel and invite people to Christ as we work for justice, as we work with mercy, as we work with compassion. And in every one of these sectors, be it industry, be it politics, be it education, be it the aged care sector, we need Christians who will do the right thing, who will stand up for the poor, the oppressed, and who will work for justice and work with mercy and compassion. The church must be a light that speaks of the great news of the gospel as it works to shine the light and the love of Christ in this world. Because what you see in Habakkuk here is this incredibly strong critique and condemnation and woe to those who will serve themselves. Let me finish. The third word, and it's just a final short sentence in this response by God, is a call to worship. And verse 20 finishes with these words in chapter 2. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. You see, what is God saying here to Habakkuk? He's calling him to be quiet in worship before him. The Lord is in his holy temple. And it's a, a picture of God on the throne over the world, ruling. And he calls Habakkuk, in a sense, to come in and to just sit there and acknowledge that and to know that. In the context of the experience of suffering and injustice and opposition that he's experiencing in his day. And to worship God and to know him and to realize actually God is sovereign, he will sort things out. And you see, it's when we come before God in humility and as we worship Him, we realize He is on the throne. And I want to say by word of application for those this morning here who are crying out how long, that that is your cry at this point in time. To bring that cry before God and to just bring your needs before Him and give them over to Him as an act of worship and allow him to work in the midst of it in his time, be it whatever you're facing. Because at the end of the day, we need to wait for God to act. We need to have our faith in him and our trust in him in humility. And in worship, we need to sit before him and give our life over to him, realizing that he is the one who is sovereign, who will bring all things to an end at the appointed time. And it's by knowing him and worshipping him that we will have the strength to keep going forward. David's going to come now and sing a song for us to listen to and just to quietly reflect upon. It's called Sovereign Over Us.